Welcome to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. When people are injured due to negligence or while on the job, they need all the help they can get. Doctors Armin Feldman and Mike Bummer help ensure they get it. Join them as they discuss the newest medical subspecialty of medical legal consulting. Learn how attorneys can gain a competitive advantage in PI, workers' comp, and medical malpractice cases. Armin and Mike can help you better understand the medical issues in your cases, leading to larger settlement amounts and the best possible medical care for clients. They can help save you time and increase case value, all without breaking the bank. Let's get started. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Armin Feldman, and as always, I'm here with my friend, colleague, and partner in Physicians Legal Consultants, Dr. Mike Bummer. Hi, Armin, and hello to all of our listeners. How's everyone doing out there? I, I hope that summer as it winds down and as we enter this fall season, everyone's having a uh, getting back into the swing of things. Absolutely. You know, we I, I started something new in the past two weeks, Armin. I haven't even told told you about this yet. I uh, I've told you before that I play tennis at right. a, at a pretty high level, right? And I had uh, colleagues invite me to play pickleball. Have you ever played pickleball? <laughs> no, I have not played pickleball. And the funny thing about that is some friends of ours, we were going to get together with some friends of ours, and they said, well, we can't do it on this day because we're playing pickleball. <laughs> and then I, I said to Holly when uh, I, we got off the phone, maybe we should try playing pickleball. And you have done it. Armin, it is so much fun. And I guarantee you, our listeners are playing pickleball. A lot of them are <laughs> because it's taking over. I actually had a bit of a, I don't know, a, a bit of a negative impression of it because as a tennis player, you know, these pickleballers come and they take over right. the court or they're loud and there's that, the paddle hitting the ball. And, and I get it. I'm, I totally get it now. It is so fun and appeals to a, such a wide spectrum of, of new players for mm -hmm. picking it up. For seasoned kind of racket sport veterans like myself, there's a lot of intricate decision making and in different ways to hit the ball that are still really fun and and engaging. And it's social. It's so much more social than tennis mm. uh, because everyone's a lot closer on the court. Right. The ball moves a lot slower, and there's the games are tend to be quicker, and there's a lot of uh, there's this whole culture. I've gone to these parks now, two different parks around Pittsburgh, and everyone is so friendly too. Huh. And not that tennis players aren't friendly. Actually, it's like tennis friends are some of the best friends I've made. But the the culture is, oh yeah, come on, join in, let's play this. Oh hi, you know Susie, nice to meet you. I'm Mike, and and it just has been so cool that I I think you and Holly should try it. All right. Well, I'll put the Actually, here's what we'll do. You'll play a little bit and you'll give me some strategy tips and then we'll start playing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. The good news is, though, that you don't even need all that much. <laughs> it, it's, just, it's just fun. And yes, but I'll be happy to do that. All right. Well, well Mike, I know that you were excited about uh, today's podcast. I think I'm always excited, Armin. And by the way, for our listeners, this is kind of my baseline personality. I get teased a lot by friends and family that, you know, I kind of am uh, 
uh, maybe a little bit overly optimistic, get excited about things, but I can't help it. And today is no different. We discussed, we wanted to kind of go back to our roots and do a few cases mm-hmm. for our listeners. And we both have various cases, but we had one come up over the past year that involved hernia. And a hernia, the question of whether or not that hernia was caused by a car crash right. in, in an injury for one of our attorneys. And another case that we may or may not get to that also involves a hernia that's come up in the past year or two, that we did a merit analysis on the treatment of a hiatal hernia. Mm-hmm. And so, the, first of all, in this comprehensive medical summary report, this case involves a car crash. A uh, The woman was in her 60s and was coming, driving down a two-lane road and was, experienced a head-on collision, no question of liability. Their car was coming down uh, the other side, traveling about 30 miles per hour and uh, resulted in a head-on collision. It sounded uh, frightening, just reading uh, what happened. Oh, I'm sure it was absolutely terrifying. She's lucky that she survived. And airbags deployed, and she recalled striking her chest on the steering wheel, which becomes important to to this matter. She was evaluated by EMS, and uh, family was nearby who drove her directly to an emergency room. She got there and complained of chest pressure and some leg pain and had some bruising. And they did a CT scan of her head and it was unremarkable. No, no acute findings. Although the discharge, they they sent her home and it did say she had some difficulty concentrating during the visit and likely had headaches secondary to concussive symptoms. Right. Looks like she did have a concussion. I I believe so. And that makes perfect sense, right? She Mm -hmm. probably did strike her head and a portion of her upper torso on the steering wheel. Right. So about five days later, though, this woman returns to the ER complaining of abdominal pain, kind of new symptom. Mm -hmm. She was eating also and experienced upper, what she called upper, like epigastric or upper chest pain and had an episode of non-bloody emesis or vomiting. Mm Mm-hmm. They did a CT scan and saw a, quote, very large paraesophageal hiatal hernia, which she didn't know that she had and, and quite frankly, was confused by and thought maybe it's from this crash. So the attorney needed us to confirm and validate this causation and give a medical opinion as to whether or not, realistically speaking, this could have been caused by the car crash. And because there's a lot of sequelae or down the line consequences from this that you're also now going to hear about. Mm-hmm. So due to these symptoms, she eventually then uh, about a month or two later had a hiatal hernia repair robotically mm-hmm. and a toupee fundiplication, which is a procedure that strengthens that valve between the esophagus and the stomach and prevents reflux. Right. So, Mike, I, I suspect that you had to do a lot of research to uh, come up with uh, your opinion regarding causation. But go on and tell us more about what happened. Yep, that's exactly right. So I, I'll get to the, the papers that I included on this. Sure. But just to kind of run through her, the, the ongoing part of her medical issue, she had this surgery and then the first one didn't work. So six months later, she had all these symptoms came back Mm -hmm. and she was losing weight, 
had, you know, uh, discomfort in her esophagus and in her chest, and they had to do a second hernia repair with the addition of some mesh and other other uh, surgical elements. And by this time, she'd lost uh, nearly 40 pounds. Uh, she was having chronic uh, symptoms, right? Uh, nausea, uh, trouble swallowing, uh, solids getting stuck and so forth. Yep. She was really fatigued, stuff that had never presented before in her medical record. She was complaining of weakness in her legs, probably just malnourished, had all these symptoms that were that were all a consequence of having this hiatal hernia repair and its subsequent failure that would have never happened had she not been this in this traumatic crash. So back to your question, which was a really mm-hmm. good one. As part of this report, our listeners probably know by now, one of the biggest parts sections that we include is ongoing medical problems. And we take each medical problem and separate it out. And for instance, in this case, this woman had number one, hiatal hernia. And I, the section of this, I included research. There's, there's a journal from 2004 that actually says, quote, traumatic diaphragmatic hernias usually result from blunt or penetrating injuries or atrogenic causes, like having a surgery or something where someone, you know, leaves a large hole or something, but, you know, unknown other cause. The most common cause of traumatic diaphragmatic hernia is thoracoabdominal trauma, such as road traffic accidents. Right. And now, Mike, before you get into that, maybe for our listeners that aren't physicians, can, can you just explain what a hiatal hernia is? Oh, great. Yeah, it's where the stomach, we all think of the, you know, our esophagus, the tubes connected to the kind of basin or, or collecting pouch, which, which is our stomach. That anatomically is below our diaphragm, where our diaphragm is what we use the muscles to breathe and increase and decrease the volume of our lungs. The diaphragm serves as a bit of a a, a stopping kind of, uh, it's a sphincter, which a lot of people might not know what a sphincter is, but it prevents the stomach from coming up into our chest. It's like a squeeze point that keeps the esophagus above the above the diaphragm and the stomach below in the abdominal cavity. What a hernia is, is whenever that stomach actually squeezes up through that hole of the in the in the diaphragm and goes into the chest wall. So right. your stomach is literally in the wrong compartment. Right. And that's usually because uh, there's been a rupture, a tear that uh, allows, uh, so the sphincter can't hold it down, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And in that same paper, it actually describes this mechanism because we always include mechanism of injury in these papers that blunt in blunt trauma, the raised pressure, and this is a quote, of within the abdominal cavity causes the tear of the diaphragm and suddenly raised pressure difference, forcing the abdominal organs through the defect, end quote. Yeah, you know, Mike, I thought that was just so fascinating because when we first talked about this, when the case came in, uh, I was thinking um, more along the lines that the trauma itself would cause the tear. But no, that's not the case. The fact that uh, there's blood force trauma to the abdomen and that uh, the air that's in there, it pushes it up with such force, so violently that that's what causes the tear, the rip that allows the stomach to come up into the uh, chest. Bingo. Bingo. And that 
is a really important point of understanding how this one event, this crash, led to everything that followed in this case. And I went on in this report to, you know, say this woman denied any GI symptoms before her crash. And then I used our Freeman criteria in the paper to discuss causation and really prove that this was in fact a consequence direct from this car crash. And so I, I know our attorney was thrilled with the ability to lay this out in a simple, very easy to follow A to B to C narrative with peer-reviewed research, explaining some of the difficult terms that he included this, this report in with his settlement demand to explain all the ongoing medical costs and uh, suffering that this woman now had as a direct result of having this original hernia. So Mike, when you took a look at the medical literature, was there a, a significant amount to, that helped to explain this phenomenon that happened? I wouldn't call it significant amount. I, I remember spending, you know, a, a good hour uh, kind of going through the peer-reviewed research and only finding a few papers. But the mm. ones I found, the ones I found were just knockout. They were. Mm-hmm. I read some of the quotes, only a few of the quotes to you, but these papers laid it out perfectly. Okay. And frankly, I'm not sure that this is a a major. Um, like known issue from right. car crashes. Mm-hmm. It's a bit in the weeds. Mm-hmm. And frankly, there's probably some element of this woman. She, I, I had told you she was in her sixties. Uh, she was overweight and there's some element of her maybe being predisposed to having mm-hmm. a hiatal hernia, but that certainly doesn't justify that. Oh, now she can have a car crash and has this hernia and it's not, you know, it's certainly still not her fault. Right. Definitely accident related. Certainly. And she had other consequences too. And in this report, you know, this was what a 12 page report. I included the second heading of ongoing medical problems was headaches because she previously had headaches that were managed with Tylenol. Now she has seven out of 10 intensity headaches, bad headaches every day from our phone interview that I did with her. Mm-hmm. And I included a paper from 2007 that, that says headache we know is the second most common symptom of whiplash-related right. cervicogenic headache-related pains and increases the severity and frequency of headaches and things like that. Right. And I don't. I don't want to give anything away, but th- these headaches actually might have had two causes. Right. Uh, one is neck problems, uh, whiplash problems, but also it sure sounds like she may have had a mild traumatic brain injury, and she could have also these headaches could be post-concussive headaches too. Absolutely. I did not specifically address the concuss post-concussive symptoms in my report because I felt like it would have potentially diluted some mm-hmm. of her other significant functional losses sure. that I saw as more relevant. And I believe the attorney actually, when I discussed that with them, mm-hmm. uh, agreed with me. Mm-hmm. And But it, it, instead, I focused on just the pure cervicogenic headache from the likely whiplash injury, which again, would be hard to dispute in such a traumatic crash. The uh, shoulder pain was the next heading that I, I discussed because she said since the crash, she can't reach up over her head with her her left arm her shoulder just she said kills whenever she's lying in bed at night and as we know rotator cuff pain is traditionally worse at night it has these lifting over the head issues and so 
I realized and put in my report that her left shoulder pain is pathognomonic for a rotator cuff injury, which she has not really had worked up. She did some physical therapy, but in my estimated future medical care and costs, I was able to include additional MRI and orthopedic workup that she was going to need because of this shoulder pain, which she kind of ignored because she's been suffering from multiple hernia repair surgeries from headaches. And so to her, not being able to lift her arm over her head to reach, you know, dishes in her kitchen is not really on the front of her mind. Right. So I actually have two, two quick thoughts I want to throw in. One is, uh, I doubt that, uh, our non-physician, uh, listeners know what pathognomonic means. <laughs> you want to say something about that? Sure. The word pathognomonic is another way of saying that it's characteristic or indicative of a particular disease or condition. So meaning it's like that you look it up in the dictionary, that's what it says. Like, so path, it's directly related to rotator cuff injury. Whenever someone reports left shoulder pain, that is worse at night, can't reach over her head. Like these are the things that you you look up on WebMD and it says the seven things that she said. Right. (laughs) So then let me give you my other quick thought. I, I, I don't mean I'm going back a little bit to the headaches, but how often uh, do we say to uh, in this podcast and sometimes to our attorney clients, well, uh, Mr. Attorney, you certainly know a lot, a lot of medicine, but you're not a, a doctor. And that's where we come in, right? We say that all the time. What with these headaches, it was absolutely the opposite. It was essentially the attorney saying to you, well, you know the medicine, but from my legal strategy standpoint, I want to stick with the headaches being cervical. And so that was, to me, that was a really interesting thing about the case is that uh, the attorney helped steer the case from a legal standpoint after listening to what we had to say as physicians. Isn't it great that we are collaborative in that way? Yeah. And yes, you're absolutely right. And when in doubt, Armin's rule number 72 is <laughs> just uh, call and ask. Yeah, right. <laughs> see rule, see rule number two, just call and ask. And that is, it makes it really easy because yeah. these are all things that we could, we could go on for, for chapters and chapters about some of these injuries, but I'm not sure that's doing them any favors either. Right, right. So, okay. I'm sorry I interrupted you. That's all right. It, it, there was a lot of injuries here, and it, probably because it was such a traumatic crash. And mm-hmm. being older, she was more susceptible to some of these injuries. But she also, there's a heading that I put in here about back pain. Mm-hmm. I told you that she was going to need an MRI and referral for orthopedic evaluation due to her shoulder pain, but she had back pain. I included some research that I often use in my mm-hmm. older individuals that, you know, whenever. Uh, people over the age of 65 go to an ER and get discharged, it's extremely likely that they have functional decline later and experience persistent pain. And there's data that supports this, even whenever there are not necessarily, you know, proven uh, uh, injuries necessarily on imaging and whatnot, but these older individuals are much more susceptible to persistent pain and functional decline. Right. Right. So they're more susceptible to injury. Uh, in these auto crashes, and uh, the evidence is that 
they're more likely to have long-term problems. Absolutely. And that can be incorporated whenever it's explained properly in a report like this. And she also experienced some cognitive loss. It's vaguer, I should say more vague, because of a lot of the the highlights of the the very well-diagnosed injuries I already told you about. But she also, on the phone interview, said she feels like a, quote, different person since that crash. She's in a daze on many days. She feels sad, frustrated, depressed, more than I ever did beforehand. These are quotes that we put in the report and difficulty concentrating. And so I did include some information about post-concussive syndrome and cognitive loss, uh, but just pointing out that she would benefit from an evaluation of this and that it was present. I, 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 but as you know, these are very vague symptoms. And I, uh, as instructed by the attorney, he wanted us to focus primarily. The question was really mainly about the hernia. Right. And then everything else came along with it, which I think was very impressive. And he seemed delighted to include all of this in his settlement negotiation. Right. Just going back to those symptoms you were talking about a moment ago. So the other thing that typically we see, right, Mike, is that not only does the injured person talk about uh, some difficulties in their thinking, but their loved ones notice that there's a change in them. Uh, and sometimes they'll say that, well, my, my husband, my wife, uh, their whole personality changed. And that helps us to make the diagnosis. Yeah, I've had many cases where I actually separately call family members or have them put a daughter or a son on the phone or a brother or sister, someone that actually gives me quotes to use in the report about how their loved one has changed since the crash using specific examples, not just saying, oh, they're different. But no, I remember right. one that the, the live-in adult son said, my mom no longer can cook dinner for us because she gets distracted. She's not, it's not safe for her to use the stove. And I found multiple times that she wanders and she's not able to do it. Whereas before that crash, this is a different case, of course, she was cooking dinner most nights for her son. Yeah, there you go. Mm -hmm. And those are the types of stories that we can include in these reports that, um, Armin, it just makes it, I mean, it's, it's so rewarding to be able to include these things. And I'd be remiss, actually, I just turned the page. If I didn't mention in the case for today, the section on future medical care and costs. Yeah, great. Go ahead. You know, this woman um, said she was unwilling to undergo additional surgery or treatments for her difficulty eating. She has persisted to have difficulty from her hiatal hernia repairs and being problematic. And a lot of non-surgeons wouldn't right away know this, but for each additional surgery you have, the the outcome of a surgery being positive, the result, uh, the chance of it being, you know, curative or being successful, the, the chances of that go down. And this this is a perfect example of that. She's probably never going to to feel the same in her chest and with her swallowing and eating. Yeah. Long-term so, residual problem. It, it's very serious. And so we include costs based on a life expectancy of 
of the individual that was injured. And we use a resource table to calculate that. Mm -hmm. And we're not certified life care planners, but we do give our opinions within a reasonable degree of medical certainty or probability what the costs would be. Mm -hmm. And very even conservatively in this woman, it was easy to know that she was going to have costs for an orthopedic surgeon evaluation, MRIs, some scans, physical therapy additional. Uh, she was going to need to see a primary care physician, probably a neurologist for these cervicogenic headaches, which mm -hmm. are clearly different than pre-crash. And the total uh, was just under $100,000 of future medical care and costs right. that we were able to estimate. Yeah. And, you know, the client is really seriously injured. She's really going to need that in the settlement. Hopefully it was settled, but in the settlement uh, to help pay for all of this medical care that she's going to need for a long time. That and, as you know, so much more. I mean, our attorneys, we know this is just one element. One, this is the, right. medi the medical aspect. And frankly, they can use that number however they want in their strategic uh, negotiation. Right. Right. Well, it's an awesome case. It really, it felt good to help the attorney and his client on this. And the, uh, the report really writes itself. Once you dig in, you review the medical records and walk through. And I, we should mention, if anyone wants to see, if we have any attorneys who want to see a redacted version of this report, you can email us at comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com. You can uh, drop us a message on LinkedIn. We're actually, from our last episode, we're going to be running a LinkedIn video series later this month to even, you know, shed more light on what these reports can do and how our attorneys are using them to negotiate and maximize their uh, their settlements. And yeah, there's just a lot of really good stuff happening uh, surrounding this right now. Right. So I, I just have one last thought. Well, you said it was an awesome case. Well, it was an awesome case in terms of our ability to help the attorney help this woman. It certainly wasn't awesome for the person. It was a catastrophic uh, situation that left her uh, with really serious long-term problems. And I guess it's awesome in the sense that we were able, those weren't going to go away. And through our report and th uh, the attorney's work, we were able to help her. Really a totally tragic case for this yeah. woman. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think, Armin, that you know, we alluded to another case today that involved another hernia, but I, I, I think we, we got in, we got into some really good details and we should save that for next time. Yes, absolutely. Anything else on this case, Mike? No, no, that's, that's all. I would implore anyone to, to go try pickleball if you haven't done it already. <laughs> hey, another thing I should mention, uh, I'm really into health and wellness, my, my wife and family and I, there's a documentary on uh, Netflix called Living, Live to 100 Blue Zones. Right. And it talks about racket sports being the single best uh, athletic pursuit that increases longevity. They, they actually controlled for a lot of stuff in there. I, I was so curious as a tennis player why that is true. And there, the theory is there's something in the cerebellum that with racket sports and quick thinking that is actually stimulatory toward, you know, the brain. But uh, I digress. I, I'm just 
very into the this is really front and center right now with the pickleball. Very <laughs> <laughs> excited about it. Well, let me just quickly follow up on what you said. We have this three very short video uh, series that's coming up and it'll, the videos will be on LinkedIn and they will be on October 3rd, 4th and 5th. So watch for that in LinkedIn. And uh, just to wrap up, as Mike said, if you have a comment, if you have a question, if you're an attorney and you have a case, you can reach us at comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com. And we really appreciate your loyal listenership. And we will see you on the next podcast. Thanks for listening to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. For more information about the show and to listen to all the podcast episodes, go to physicianshelpingattorneys.com. You can also email Armin and Mike at comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com.